Welcome back to another episode of City Hall Pass. I'm Kapel Lungani, counsel to the mayor of New York City. We created this forum, the first of its kind in New York City, to give you, the public, a unique window into the highest levels of our city government. We interview New York City's finest public servants and get them to open up in a way that is both deeply personal and insightful. And on its best days, we hope that our podcast is equal parts educational and inspiring. And now I want to introduce my two co-hosts today, two brilliant women who inspire me every day, Best Chu and Kate Coughlin. Thanks, Capel. Happy to be here. This is Best Chu. I'm currently Chief of Staff to the Office of the Council to the Mayor. Hi, I'm Kate Coughlin, and I currently serve as Deputy Counsel for the Office of the Council to the Mayor. I'm excited to introduce our guest for this episode, the former Commissioner of the Mayor's Community Affairs Unit, otherwise known as CAU, Marco Carrion. Marco served as the Commissioner of CAU from 2014 to 2020, serving as a direct link between the Mayor and our city's neighborhoods. Through the CAU, Commissioner Carrion and his team were able to bring together community groups, nonprofit organizations, civic associations, and concerned citizens to address and rectify the issues facing residents of the five boroughs. Marco's commitment to communities is deeply rooted in his foundation in the national and local labor movements, fighting for the needs of working people. He worked for the AFL-CIO and the New York City Central Labor Council, where he forged deep partnerships among 300 local unions and 1.3 million members the CLC represented. Marco currently serves as the executive director of El Puente, a community human rights institution that promotes leadership for peace and justice through the engagement of members in the arts, education, scientific research, wellness, and environmental action. Marco also serves on the New York City Board of Corrections. We spoke to Commissioner Carrion about his work as an organizer, the evolution of the CAU under his leadership, his deep love for the Bronx, and much more. We hope you enjoy. At its core, City Hall Pass is about getting to know the best public servants in the city in a personal way. And frankly, there are no better public servants in this city than my good friend, Marco Carrion, the former director of the Community Affairs Unit and really one of the most beloved people in the administration and frankly, the entire city. And you don't have to believe me. To use the mayor's words, Marco is, quote, the definitive public servant. And to say we could not have accomplished all we did without him is an understatement. And without further ado, I want to welcome a proud native son of the Bronx, and my good friend, Marco Carrion. Marco, thanks for joining us. Well, Capel, thank you. Thank you to the rest of the team. It's uh, and really an, an honor to be here on your, uh, this is the you know most prestigious podcast coming out of City Hall, so. Well, it's thank the you. only one. So it's, <laughs> it's both the most prestigious and the worst and the best and, and, and everything in between. So, but no, we, we really appreciate you stopping by, Marco. Marco, how did you meet the mayor? It's a, this is a great question. So um, I don't even know if he knows this or remembers this rather. I was working on a congressional campaign back in 2006 and I was coming out of a political club event in Brooklyn in Bed-Stuy and I walk out and with the candidate whose campaign I was running and it's a guy leaning against the wall by himself and says that he likes my shirt. Right. I was wearing some kind of like Yaveta, you know, kind of traditional Latin American shirt. And I asked the candidate I'm with, I was like, who is that? He's like, oh, that's that's just Bill de Blasio. So at the time, I don't I don't think he was in the council yet. Maybe he was. But fast forward to when he is running for mayor. He was already public advocate. I had crossed paths with, you know, folks in his office, but never really with him. And it was around the organizing of the Father's Day Stop and Frisk March, which labor 
was a big organizer of, especially 1199 and 32BJ as well. And I was one of the organizers for both the labor table and the, I think it was the organizer for the Latino table as well. And the mayor was really big in that march and his team. And it was during that that I got to know him and Emma as well. What was your first impression of him? You know, the mayor is uh, very quick at his feet, very smart, really retains information really well. And he was very, I wouldn't use the word blunt. It wasn't blunt, but, you know, he got to business pretty quickly. It was around that time that he first started to talk to me about joining his campaign. And I was down in the DNC that year. And I spoke to him then. You know, he asked me to join his campaign, and I turned him down. Then he asked me again, and I turned him down. So I turned him down twice. But, you know, I turned him down not because I didn't believe in his candidacy, even though he was, he was you know, pretty far back in the polls. It, it's because, you know, as I told him, you know, at the, the point I was working for the Central Labor Council, and I told him, I, I said, you know, I can actually have more value to you in my current position than on your campaign. I mean, there we hadn't endorsed a candidate, so I was helping all candidates who asked. And the mayor and Emma were... We're really smart about using the Central Labor Council as a resource, always reaching out to me, asking me for for guidance. But the, the mayor told me at the time, the last time I, I turned him down to join his campaign, he said, when I win, you're going to join my administration. And, you know, I kind of like laughed it off as, you know, just kind of like the kind of bravado of any of any candidate. He wins, and I'm walking down the street. I remember going to dinner, going to a bar or something like that. I remember I was in the Lower East Side, and he won. It's always, it was in the back of my head, and he said that, but I didn't, you know, reach out or anything. And I got a call from Emma, and she said, well, you know, she said, the mayor said, he told you that months ago, and they, they kept their word. Many people may not know what the Community Affairs Unit, or CAU, does, though the CAU plays often a very large role in the community. Can you talk a little bit about CAU and what they do? Yeah, so CAU, um, I like to say it acts as a bridge between, you know, all communities and and city hall and city government. You know, it has a long storied history. And I think that every administration uses CAU a little differently. You know, sometimes it's it's more, it'll be more assertive in his actions. Sometimes it's more like kind of performative acts. Under this mayor, you know, because of his background as a an organizer, a CAU acts as the organizing arm, especially like the long form organizing arm of the administration. I mean, we were the folks who, who got to know every part of the city, every aspect of the city, every community, breaking it down from tenant leaders to neighborhood mayors to faith leaders, community-based organizations, and the such. You know, any kind of like non-elected official I mean, was really our purview, and even elected officials, um, because obviously we cross paths with them a lot. But, you know, we worked to really be the liaison to all of those folks and to really be the bridge to, to push information out from City Hall, but also to bring information in, which I think was equally as important, and to be their voice within City Hall and within all the agencies. You come from a family, from parents who are both very actively engaged in the community. You know, we've had a chance to chat about this before. Your father is a teacher. I think he worked at the Administration for Children's Services at one point. And your mom is an activist and an organizer. Did you always see public service as your calling? I don't know necessarily that I saw it as a calling, but I saw it as what I was, I saw it as the most noble thing to do, you know? I mean, my parents were and still are, you know, I mean, I guess for lack of a better word, my idols, right? And and they were always so selfless. You know, I was telling someone the other day that it wasn't like they were always home, you know? And my, my father was out, you know, who would spend a lot of time obviously in school and when he worked for ACS, would work late nights. And my mother was always out, you know, organizing somewhere at a rally or an attendance association meeting, a PTA meeting you know, speaking truth to power. And, and I never felt like I was like being abandoned or I never felt like they weren't there. I always knew. And, and you know, I've thought about this often. 
they always were able to convey to me that they were out doing the most important thing that someone could do, right? Living a life of, of service. And they didn't do, they did it by, you know, it was their actions, not their words. But I mean, I'm sure they must have told me something as well. To me, you know, what I do now is, is just, it was like the natural thing, you know? You know, I never think maybe I could have, you know, become working a hedge fund or a pilot or, you know, something like that. Like, I just, I never think about that stuff. I mean, I find it interesting, but like none of that stuff ever felt right. You know, this is what I do now is the only thing that has ever felt right. So my parents are self-employed. So if it was a snow day or a holiday and they had to work, I would go to work with them. I do think I picked up some of the values that they have, like their hard work. Similarly, your mother was an activist. So I imagine as a child, went to a lot of rallies and a lot of community events. How did the values that your parents instilled in you prepare you for work in public service? I mean, I, I think it's it's everything, right? I mean, my, my parents both, they, they had a common value in loving people, right? And they valued people in a really real way. And they would criticize folks, right? But they just loved people. And it was never, I remember I couldn't use the word hate at home. I could never say I hated something. You know, what I learned from my mother was that everyone is deserving of, of your help. And that she was not beyond at any time helping anyone who was in need. And in that, she was fearless, you know? And that's you know, when I think about that, when I walk into a big room or a tough situation is that she had no fear. I mean, my mother was just, you know, graduated from, you know, obviously grew up in a very different time in, in East Harlem, but didn't have the opportunity to go to college and started off as like a nurse working for a, a private doctor. And then when I was born, I made the decision to stop working to take care of me full time. And it was through like being at home and having to take me to school and then having some interactions with teachers that she didn't like that sparked something in her to like, just like take on the system and try to take more control of her surroundings, both the school, which led to like tenant organizing. And now she does a lot of things regarding PD. And it was just like, she she never had any fear of entering any space, being around anyone, any elected officials. I mean, so many elected officials who I dealt with through my career, even now, who when they find out that she's my mother, get like nervous about it, right? But you know, what I learned from her was just that like, you have to always speak up, that you can't be afraid, that you, you know, that, that, that your voice is important. And you always have to do what's right. You know, for my father, it was, you know, he was someone who helped people in a very different way, you know, being a teacher and, you know, working at ACS, but, you know, really he defined himself as a school teacher. He retired a couple of years back, but it was like, as a teacher, as an educator, it was always, you know, giving to folks through, through knowledge and helping them grow and helping them be stronger and helping them on a path of self-determination. And that was something that, that I, this is very important to me, but it was always like, he was a, you know, Vietnam vet, came back, went to Columbia, you know, also grew up in East Harlem. And it was like, really just making sure that he was always making his community better by giving back. So it was just like this real selflessness that you're supposed to do the right thing. You're supposed to help people and that, that people are deserving of your help. How did CAU or the Community Affairs Unit's role within city government evolve throughout your tenure? Listen, I mean, I, you know, I had worked a lot with CAU before I came to administration and, you know, they, you know, there was really great folks on that team. This mayor, because of his background, wanted us to be deeper into communities and really be organized in those communities. I think that took on a role of, of, of dealing with, you know, the issues of, of disaster and, and trauma, being like frontline folks and really putting our bodies on situations. The mayor, you know, sometimes refers to me as like the diplomat of the, of the administration and really embodying that in a, in a deeper way. We did a lot less of the kind of ceremonial things, even though we did do some of those things, but a lot less of handing out certificates and proclamation and more of, you know, having the, the tough conversations with, 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 
families, with consoling people and being there for folks. You know, it, it's a job that in the beginning took people with high motors. And that's what I was looking for. People who just work a lot. And at the end, you know, it was really people with a high emotional intelligence. I mean, that's what I was looking for at the end, because I realized that these are people who are really very, very sensitive situations that we would be in. Yeah, I mean, your role expanded quite a bit, Marco, from when you got here. I mean, you really took this unit into something that really became a critical part of the administration and how it was perceived by the public. At least that's how I viewed it during my time here, Marco. Yeah, I think people saw us as like, you know, we were the folks who can give an unfiltered, unfiltered response. I mean, there was a couple of different things that I wanted to work on, including, you know, there had been a huge chasm between the, uh, between city government, city hall and the Muslim community over 20 years or so of really antagonism by both the Giuliani and the Bloomberg administration, uh, where there would be surveillance at mosques, surveillance at city college campuses and such. You know, really, you know, all the things after, before and after 9-11, you know, th- you know, those projects reaching out to the Muslim community, I mean, and, and now I believe we have a really deep relationship with that community. I mean, that was very important to me. And, and also, you know, we did a lot of work with PD. And I think that we spent a lot of time with PD because we realized that early on that, that, that PD's actions really impacted the communities we were dealing with. So in that, we had to change the type of relationship we had with the police department to become one where we could, you know, advocate for folks, work with PD when we could, and and really be a voice. You know, and, and it hasn't always been easy in these lanes, but I think, you know, it's what I thought was needed. So the community affairs unit is known as, I think, the most public face of the administration. That requires, you know, CAU members, your, yourself and your employees, a lot of times to be physically somewhere, at a town hall, at a house of worship, um, you know, sitting with someone at the scene of a tragedy. But this year, you know, we've been dealing with the COVID pandemic, which has required a lot of people to just isolate and quarantine and stay away from each other. How did the COVID-19 pandemic change the way that CAU worked? I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, our part of our job and a big part of what we do is to be places physically, right? To really put our bodies on a situation. You know, during the, the, the pandemic, we had to learn how to use technology more. But the reality is that my folks were out there. I mean, you know, I know I was one of the last people here. And, you know, I think Ms. Capello came to me one day and saw me at my desk. He's like, what are, what are we doing here? We were like two of the last people here besides the mayor at City Hall. It's just so it was it's just so hard to do the job that we do without actually being there, looking someone in the eye, looking at their body language so they could hear the inflection in our voice and see our eyes. But, you know, my folks were out there and I've been out there the entire time, distributing masks, helping with food distribution, making sure that people had the, the other PPE they needed, but also the information they needed, doing a massive amount of outreach via phone, via other types of, of technology, constant conference calls, video calls, but in-person things as well. I mean, we could never stop the in-person thing, especially since people live their lives, you know, in real life, right? So as people needed, needed things, we need to be out there. Working for the mayor's office has given me more than a few gray hairs, especially in the last nine months. But it's also a once in a lifetime experience working to make the lives of the residents of the city better. But especially at the end of the administration, I find myself looking back at my time at City Hall and I'm surprised by how fast my four years have gone by, but also how much I've learned in that time. Looking back over your time at City Hall, what advice would you give to your 2014 self? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I had no gray hairs, and then my beard is, has a lot of gray. But when I first got here, I um, 
I would tell myself that the job was going to be a lot more reacting to things than proactive. You know, I came in here thinking it was going to be a lot more proactive. I would also prepare myself for the amount of putting out fires that I had to put out. And I didn't really, wasn't expecting that. The last thing I would tell myself is that there's, you know, the moments in between all the tragedies and trauma and, and putting fires out and just like the rushing around because, I mean, City Hall is like no other place, right? And I've had other jobs which are very intense, but the intensity here because the city never sleeps is off the charts. You know, I would tell myself to, you know, find the times to appreciate what makes the job great, you know, and just the things that really show how great the city is and how great the people in the city are and really being able to celebrate and find solace in those times. I mean, if anything, I think that there were times where I was such looking ahead and forward and forward and forward to getting things done that I never stopped and really took things in. That I'm only taking in now, you know, and looking, looking back. So I'm going to introduce a new game that I created at 8.30 last night. Let's do it. All right. As head of CAU and a lifelong New Yorker, wow. you have to have some great recommendations okay. uh, for things to do in the city. So we are introducing a new game called Where to Carry On with Carry On. <laughs> oh, man. Let's hear it. Okay. So we're going to ask you a series of questions, and you just need to provide your recommendation. Okay. All right. What borough has the best pizza in New York City? Uh, the Bronx. Always the Bronx. Does New York City have the world's best coffee? You know, I'm not, I don't drink hot beverages, but I will say yes, because I will go down, I will always go down with New York, yes. What is your favorite New York City park? Uh, my favorite New York City park is, oh, that's a great question. I'd say it's Central Park. Actually, you know what? Yeah, Central Park, Central Park, let's go with that. All right, it's raining or it's snowing, and I have the day off because my boss is going to give me the day off. Oh, wow. I know. I mean, she's hypothetical. Hypothetical. You know that. Where should I go? It's raining or it's snowing, and I have the day off, so I could do something inside. Is outside this pandemic time or anytime? Wow. This is a hypothetical because I have the day off. Hypothetical. Listen, I I love to walk, right? And I I love this city in part because it's a walking city. So whether it be walking along in the beautiful parts of Brooklyn, you know, Clinton Hill, Cobble Hill, and just like those you know, beautiful buildings out there. I love, you know, walking down Lower Manhattan and the, the historic parts of the city when the older parts of the city. But I also love, you know, going to the water and the Rockaways, Coney Island. Yeah, I mean, the museums are always great. And New York has some, you know, fantastic museums. The, you know, and some smaller ones as well. The Caribbean Cultural Institute, their museum on 125th Street is fantastic. And go see a show somewhere. And then finally, what do you think is the most underrated place in New York City? Man, you guys are making me, you know, okay, so one side of me was always, listen, I'm always going to lean hard on the Bronx. And I'm always going to say, I take them to the Bronx, take them to Arthur Avenue, take them to Third Avenue, take them up and down to, to whether it be the West African food or the Puerto Rican food or the, the West Indian food throughout the borough, Pelham Bay Park, St. Anne Park. You know, I, I love the Bronx. You know, I went to, what was it, Woodlawn not so long ago, and it's it's really beautiful up there, Van Cortland Park, to the Bronx. I think the Bronx is very, very underrated, and we don't brag as much, or we haven't historically, like people from Queens who just can't get over themselves, or or Brooklyn, or, you know, Manhattan, or Staten Island. Staten Island, you know, Staten Island is actually, Staten Island actually, surprisingly, is also very scenic and beautiful as well. I have I have found some parts of Staten Island that I, you know, it's the one place you go there, and just like, you're shocked you're still in New York, so... Marco, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. You, more than anyone, embody what it is to be a New Yorker. And I will say this 
to you, and, and you know this very well, every day I worked with you really and truly was an inspiration. And I'm really grateful for the time that we spent together. And uh, thank you for everything you taught me personally, my team. We learned a hell of a lot from you. And anybody that has the opportunity to work with you in the future, they're very, very lucky to have that opportunity. So on behalf of the city, the mayor, and all the people who really, really love you here in City Hall, thank you so much for everything, Marco. And thanks for taking time to join us today. Well, thank you, guys. It's, it's been great. I'm glad I could be a guest in this illustrious you know, podcast. And, uh, and best of luck. And hopefully you have me back on. I want to thank our guest, former Commissioner Marco Carrion, for joining us on City Hall Pass. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and look forward to talking to you soon on another episode of City Hall Pass. This podcast is brought to you by the Office of the Council to the Mayor of New York City. 